Let's hear the reading from the Gospel of Mark. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourself and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognised them and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion for them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored the boat. When they got out of the boat, people at once recognised him and rushed about that whole region and began to bring the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that he might touch that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak and all who touched it were healed. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us and for the word of God within us. This uh, reading we get is a reading that highlights what happens between the major bits. If you're a movie or television watcher, you know that there has to be some downtimes between the, the car chases and the, to progress the story a bit more. And this is what we've given here. Before this reading is the reading that those of you who were here last week will remember the death of John the Baptist. Cataclysmic event. Between the two bits of this reading is the feeding of the 5,000. Another extraordinary event which we treat next week in the lectionary. Not quite sure why we do it in this order, but the lectionary writers uh, who put it all together must have some purpose beyond the, the, something that I can understand. But anyway, we'll deal with it next week, but not from the Gospel of Mark, from the Gospel of John. Also between here and uh, between these two readings, Jesus walks on water, another extraordinary strange miracle. And afterwards there are a whole series of more healings. So this is all kind of the building of the work of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. And in the middle of it, Jesus is said to have compassion. That sense of... Compassion is something very deep, isn't it? A deep sense of empathy, a, a being deeply, so deeply connected to people that you feel what the pain that they feel. You feel the uncertainty that they feel. And we know that Jesus loved people because that's the story we've been told all our lives, those of us who've been in church. But compassion is also a sense of indignation and you pick this up a lot in the way Jesus operates. It's not just that he loves people, therefore he has a sense of compassion, but he has a sense of indignation that things are not right, that people are not being treated well, that people are not experiencing life as they should. 
the sense of indignation that something is not right that you know many of us would be experiencing at the moment with people that we know and love in many parts of the world and particularly at the moment in Sydney and again in Melbourne. You know, these things have to be done. We can't sing today. These things have to be done and you may or may not agree. There's all kinds of chatter about what we should and shouldn't be doing. But we try and do these things in solidarity. But they're not right. We should be able to sing at the top of our lungs. But that's not the world we're in at the moment. That's that sense of compassion. But there's more to it because Jesus, it, the, the text says Jesus has compassion because they are like sheep without a shepherd, which could be seen as they're very sad and they're lonely or they're lost. And we could see it as a bit clueless. Uh, we could see it as a bit demeaning because sheep are kind of a clueless set of characters, and we obviously far more intelligent than that, um, aren't we? So. Uh, At our best we are, aren't we? On a good day, when it's not this cold and we've had a decent cup of coffee. But we've turned faith in the last hundred years into a very personal activity. In fact, we've done it so much so that there's a lot of research to be said that our generations have done such a poor job of understanding and expressing our own experience of faith that we've not been able to to transmit it to the next generation below us, our children and our grandchildren. It's a real indictment on us. But it's an indictment that says faith is supposed to be personal and it's supposed to be intimate and you're supposed to be able to talk about it one-on-one and that's all there is to it. And yes, it is personal. And if it, if it doesn't fill the innermost parts of your life, then it's not a real experience. But it's not just a personal experience. It's not just this idea that you sort of take, as I remember going up in the evangelical churches, take Jesus as your personal saviour. No, I understand that talk and it's important because it is important for it to be real and alive in me. But my memory of it is that's where it stopped. But when Jesus says they look like sheep without a shepherd, he is not talking about some personal interior experience. The word shepherd is always, and I mentioned this last week and maybe a couple of weeks ago, the word shepherd in the, in the ancient world was always a metaphor for those in charge, the rulers. Pharaohs, pharaohs were talked about as shepherds in ancient Egypt. All through the, the Hebrew scriptures, you can't find the word shepherd mentioned ever in what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, unless it refers to one of two things either an actual shepherd actually herding sheep, and there's a few mentions of that, all the rest are meaning rulers and people in authority in Israel, in Egypt, in Persia, and all the other uh, empires and places that the Hebrews had to deal with. It's always a reference to ruling, and usually it's a reference to bad ruling. And when Jesus says they're like a sheep without a shepherd, he's not just sort of seeing this generally. Remember what happened in the last reading. Herod executes John the Baptist. Herod executes a prophet. A Jewish leader executes the prophet that comes from God. It's never a good look. It's never a good idea. They're like a sheep without a shepherd. He's saying they are like a nation without a ruler, without strong, consistent, careful, compassionate rule. 
We experience that all across the world now. The, um, the, the research that's being done into the, to the number of countries that are becoming less democratic each year around, around the world. Um, is it the Chatham Centre that does this work? I can't, can't remember. It's a, one of the Chatham House, I think, in, in London that does this work. And the, if you look them up, the surveys of the number of nations that are losing their democratic freedoms is frightening. We saw it recently in the United States. We saw it in Russia. We see it in China. We see it in Hungary. We're seeing it again in Poland and so on and so on. And this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. Herod Antipas, who was the ruler that killed John the Baptist, he was the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great died around the same time as Jesus was born. So Jesus was born into a time of enormous turmoil. There's nothing worse than that moment between rulers. We experience it in Australia when we change prime ministers, as, as we have done for a while, quite frequently. But, you know, mostly it's just a lot of talk and life doesn't end up in a mess like it is in Haiti at the moment. But Antipas was married first to a daughter of the of Aetius, who was the king of the Nabataeans. He then had an affair with his brother's wife, decided he no longer wanted to be married to Aetius' daughter, divorced her. Aetius and the Nabataeans decided that by, they had been slighted by that, so they went to war with Antipas. Antipas lost, and to some extent, his whole region, the, the, uh, the Galilee region, was in turmoil. That is not good leadership. They are like a sheep without a shepherd, Jesus is saying. This is political commentary. Uh, not politics out there, but right in how it affects us day to day. And then when you look at Psalm 23, it changes the whole way we think about it. If Psalm 23 is about shepherds in the way Jesus means it, in the way the Hebrews meant it, then there's a whole other thing going on. We use it, and we should, in times of despair, in times of hope. We would use it in funerals. We use it many times in, in worship, and we should. But the ancients would have heard it differently. The Lord is my shepherd is a statement of treason. Not the king, not the pharaoh, not the emperor. The Lord is my shepherd. That's why this is on the wall. That's why it's not on the wall because nah, we just needed something nice to brighten up our, our catacomb. This is a statement of power and truth. Jesus was called Lord. When the early Christians said Jesus is Lord, they were not making a religious statement the way we think about it, a sort of a little interior thing. I believe in Jesus. You don't believe in Jesus. That's okay because, you know, we all have different feelings about things. What they were saying is Jesus is Lord, not Caesar is Lord, which was chiseled onto every plinth that you could find. Caesar is Lord. They were saying Jesus is Lord. Jesus brings good news, not Caesar. Good news, Euangelion was printed all over the place. They, uh, they employed people whose job it was to stand up in the market square and say, Euangelion, and then make an announcement from the emperor, which was always good news for the emperor, not always good news for the people who had to listen, of course. It's often the way. Jesus is son of God, the early Christians said. 
Not Caesar, who was announced as son of God, particularly Augustus, the first uh, of, the, uh, of the actually divine Caesars. They then sort of backtracked and said some of the others were too because Julius Caesar probably was as well. It got all a bit confusing. But Augustus was pronounced as son of God, a divine being. And the Christians said, uh-uh, Jesus. And this is always about actual lives lived in actual worlds. Not your Christian life or your spiritual life. There's no such thing. It's just your life. It's just my life. This is what's going on in Psalm 23 when it sounds something that sounds so gentle and lovely to us and is so powerful. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The Lord takes me to lush pastures. The Lord leads me to refreshing waters. What an indictment on those rulers that don't do that. Those rulers that are happy to let us keep poisoning the world and the lush pastures and the refreshing waters for short-term gain. It's an indictment. This is the job of the ruler. This is the job of the parliament. This is the job of the people we are fortunate to be able to elect rather than have to put up with. Listen to this. This is one of the prophets speaking about the rulers of Israel. Thus says the Lord, Ah, you shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the sheep. You have not strengthened the weak. You have not healed the sick. You have not bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strayed. You have not sought the lost. But with force and harshness, you have ruled them. No wonder the prophets were killed and driven out. New start allowance. The treatment of refugee asylum seekers. Poor quality housing, poor quality investment in public housing. It wouldn't take us long, would it, to identify many of these things in our own communities. And it's not just metaphoric, it is literally getting harder to find good water. Even when I must walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff reassure me. The rod, the staff, the scepter, the black rod in the British Parliament, all of these are instruments to say we have the right to rule and we will do it justly and fairly. The purpose of leadership is to keep us safe, yes, but it's also to help us work together to make life meaningful. You prepare a feast in the plain sight of my enemies. You refresh my head with oil. My cup is completely full. We're still struggling in Sydney today with an inadequate method of caring for people in order that they can stay distant from each other, stay home and not be infecting each other with COVID. We're still not able to do that properly. My cup is completely full. Surely, this is, the Lord is my shepherd. Surely, 
Your goodness and faithfulness will pursue me all my days. Government is not about management. That's the tiniest part of it. It's about leadership, isn't it? Government amongst ourselves. It's not about just, let's see if we can keep going. Let's see if we can keep this building from falling over. Let's see if we can keep this congregation from falling to, uh, any, in any smaller numbers. That's not our job. That is a tiny part. Sure, we should pay attention to that. We can't let this building deteriorate because of safety, but also because we have been invested with the responsibility from previous generations. We are responsible for this extraordinary place. Reagan said government is the problem. What he should have said was bad government is the problem. It has to be filled with vision and life. We have to be courageous and tell the truth about ourselves. We talked a couple of weeks ago in NAIDOC week that we need to, the courage to tell the truth about what it means to be white in Australia and what we have done and not done. It doesn't make us smaller, it makes us bigger. That's why the Uniting Church is so invested in caring for, working with and listening to indigenous people. The, uh, the, the Assembly of the United Church, which is our national body, had its first day of the 16th Assembly yesterday. And all on Zoom, uh, which, which seems now to be really foresighted because it was, it's in Melbourne and it would not have happened at all. Um, and the, one of the first things that happened is, was the United Aboriginal, Aboriginal and Islander Congress group got up to give their report of how well and badly the Uniting Church is doing in its work with Indigenous people. That was the first thing that happened. That's why today the march for uh, eight years of harm is happening in Adelaide uh, from Victoria Square to Kintour Avenue and that will, it's a march that's been uh, supported by and organised by the members of the Uniting Church because we will not let this go. We cannot let this go. This is our calling as Christians. The purpose of us together is not to hold church services. We ought to. We'd better, because if we don't, we'll forget who we are and we'll forget who we're called to be. But that's not our purpose. Our purpose is to be engaged in the work of mission, engaged in the work of faith, engaged in the work of actual life. Years ago when I first got here and and we started the work of the Spire community. Someone who's no longer with us, um, literally no longer with us, has died, um, who was a little part of this church for a while, came up to me and said, why are you doing this thing with the Spire community? It's making a mess of our building. And it was, and probably still is. Um, The church is for church people. It's for church services. I was kind of so... Um, gobsmacked, I couldn't really figure out an answer to that. It's like somebody telling you the world's flat. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's not, but I can't remember all the arguments as to make... Wow, I can't even be bothered. The purpose and mission of the church is the purpose and mission of the church to be in the world and do the stuff we do. But we need to look after each other to do it. That's why we gather. That's why... I mean, I come here because you pay me to come here. Um... That's one reason. I mean, I'm serious. I, like, it's important to me to, to pay attention and do this work as well as I can. Uh, and I'm glad that I'm able to do it and be fed and housed to do it. But the main purpose I come, and if you stop paying me, I, I would still come because I can't do this by myself. I can't stay true to this 
on my, in my own thinking. I, I need to be part of it. And I need to do what we're going to do in a few minutes. I need to be sustained in it. Because it's really, really hard, isn't it? It's hard. Just look, listening to Mark Kicker talk about UAICC, as I did briefly on Zoom yesterday, the pain of Indigenous people in Australia. The, the good work we're doing, yes, but the pain and the ongoing struggle and the pain that happened um, after the, uh, the statement from the heart being rejected by the government and all of that, that is so palpable. And I think that... These people have been struggling for this for so many decades and we're still doing it and I just want to go home and watch TV. It's too hard. Unless I do this with you lot. Otherwise I can't keep going. Otherwise it won't, I won't be sustained. So this is not just some ritual that we do. It is actual sustenance. Oh, I should stop. I think I got a bit carried away. Sorry about that. Um, we've gone way over time, so I'm going to stop right now. <laughs> Thanks, Hewlett.